How we think, feel, and behave have critical impacts within the individual context of marriage. Thoroughly exploring how our emotions then correspond to our actions may help us learn our spouses better. Take note, the following episode will cover emotional reactions and behaviors that may be triggering to some. As you're listening, you may notice that these topics are complex and may go beyond what a mentor or counselor can help with. If you think or feel that you may be working through one or more of these emotions, we encourage you to seek out professional counseling and psychiatric support. This is Together. This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways that marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Here are your hosts, Samuel Jones and Dr. Kelly Bonniewell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Together. Um, This is, of course, Samuel and Kelly. And it is a wonderful day um, outside. It's a blessing to be able to continually get outside now and and see our families, see those who we may have missed over the course of the last year. Um, You know, individuals are, you know, deciding that they're safe to travel and or, you know, getting out and, you know, looking at the beautiful sun and spending time in the park. How how have you been doing, Kelly? I'm doing great, Samuel. Thanks for asking. No, no, nothing, nothing big happening in my life, just the daily, Uh but otherwise very, very good. And uh, I I thought that uh, uh you know back a uh, back some time ago you know you have a favorite team that you were uh, watching and unfortunately that team lost um, in a tournament called the NCAA tournament uh how are you feeling about that <laughs> you are mean very mean <laughs> so for our listeners. I am an Illini basketball fan, and they were wow. the number one seed in the Midwest, and they got mm. beat in their second game. In fact, they were beat pretty soundly by Loyola. And uh, what I always tell people, Samuel, being an Illinois basketball fan is a little bit like being a Cubs fan. You always yeah. have your heart dashed. So I'm kind of used to it. Hey, well, I share that sentiment with you because, uh, unfortunately, in that same tournament, you know, my team, Michigan, lost. And that reminds me every single time of, you know, how great and how bad the Detroit Lions are um, in regards to they set you up, they look like they're going to deliver, then they just drop the ball. So, yeah. you know, it's okay, though, you know, um, because, you know, it'll get better, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe in the next. So it's all, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but enough about that. We're going to be talking about you know, emotional struggles in relationship to marriage. And, you know, when I think about this, Kelly, um, in the particular, to, um, this particular day and this particular issue, you know, I think it's important because, you know, we have to navigate and understand that our personal issues impact our marriage and our families. You know, when, whenever there's a problem, I remember you always saying this to us and marriage mentors at Ada Bible, that marriage problems are often individual problems. And if we begin to at least look in the mirror, you know, or navigate things personally, get in our secret time, our chair time and look at these things, we'll also navigate that. Oh, we need to learn and grow from these moments where there are those individual issues, because you know, sometimes in our first steps, whenever we see that there's an issue or a potential problem in our marriages, 
you know, we'll, we'll often uh, project that upon someone else and be like, well, that's not me. It's them. We'll do the finger point. Finger pointing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, but you know, I don't know if everybody's grandma's like this, but my grandma would always say, Hey, if your fingers pointing, guess what? You got four pointing right back at you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good one. Listen, so I, I think it's so important that we, you know, look at things from an individual context. And I agree with that sentiment. Um, and in that, you know, you've also talked to me about what, what, what we'll talk about today. And that's those four key chief struggles that we have as individuals. One being anger, two being anxiety, three being lust and four being depression. And and those key areas are where we often struggle. Um, and, and if we can navigate and find that we have one of at least one or two of those key areas in our life and we focus on them, they can become better in mm. regards to these pieces. You know, so I, I think that it's just a setup for us, you know, to navigate these things today and work through them and talk about them. If you're with your your spouse, you know, make sure you gather them close because today's conversation is really going to be good and, and, and hopefully very helpful for your marriage. Um, but before we kind of get and jump into this even further, I think it's a really important, Kelly, you know, that we talk about our brains. Uh, Uh-oh. We're going to talk about our brains? Yeah. You know, people, I think people forget that they have them sometimes. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's so funny because they're so complex and so dynamic. And, you know, you know, if you've ever taken a psychology course or you've ever taken, you know, some type of uh, even a Google Scholar, you know, thing and, and checked it out, you would be able to see that they have these huge, among, you know, uh, pretty cool charts that talk about how the brain is composed and what those things work. But I, I think it's important because God made us, Kelly, so complex and so, um, you know, intricate. And in those intricacies, you know, when we understand what our how our brain is composed, it only helps us navigate those things, you know, with more competence and confidence, uh, knowing that, oh, this is why I feel like I know. this is why I'm thinking. And you know, one thing that you mentioned before we talked about this podcast was this aspect of multidimensional thinking. And, you know, in that term, we, we talk about how you can be doing several things at once, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you could be in the kitchen cooking and thinking about your kids playing in, in, in the room next to you. You could be literally uh, on the football field, you know, right in that moment thinking about how I'm going to navigate get, getting through this defensive or offensive lineman. And at the same time, thinking about, man, I'm hungry. Why did I choose not to eat before the game? <laughs> you know, uh, you could be on the golf course and literally, you know, ah, I'm about 150 yards away from the pin. Um, and then at the same time, you could be thinking about your wife who's who was angry at you for leaving to go to the golf course while she was doing something. So, so, you know, that's the intricacies of the brain. And while you can talk and think about different things, I think it's so important that we navigate that. Oh, you know what? There's aspects of our brain that do certain functions that make us do the, do those things. It could be, for example, the temporal lobe. Temporal lobe is, is located right above your ears and plays a role in emotion and learning based on what you hear and how you understand information. Next to that temporal lobe is what's called the frontal lobe. Mm. And that's primarily concerned with emotion as well. It's concerned with reasoning 
And that allows you to also be creative, uh, judge and or problem solve information. Samuel, I got an interesting uh, that Julie kind of has told me, especially consistently when our boys were teenagers. Yeah. Uh, The frontal lobe is not fully developed, I think, until you're 23. Wow. So that's why teenagers don't always make the best decisions. That's what. So that. So you're telling me that's why I went to the party when I was like 15 and shouldn't have, and then my mom, mom got and did some very not nice things to me. <laughs> <laughs> got it. That's why. Ah, uh, because I wasn't fully developed. You know why do we think they were fully developed at 17 then? Exactly. <laughs> and 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 then so temporal lobe that's the frontal lobe uh there's also what's called the cerebral cortex you know that controls thinking language and perception um, which we'll talk a little bit about that thinking piece today right and then there's the amygdala and the amygdala controls emotions uh which we'll also talk about today and that helps you determine if you're happy or sad and then lastly all of that you know there's other pieces of the brain but i think another important piece is the hippocampus, you know, because mm. that helps store and form memories. And and I think that just the caveat here, Kelly, is that, you know, with all of these dynamics of the brain, you know, we have to also, you know, be be true to ourselves as counselors and sharing that, you know, not everyone's chemicals are in a balanced state in their brain. And when you have chemicals that are unbalanced, you have things that are going on, you know, you're going to have biological factors that can impact all of those things and make you feel like, oh, you know what? I'm thinking these types of thoughts or I'm feeling up and down. My mood is this way one day and, and another day it's another way. And whenever those things are happening in your brain, it's very important to make sure that you get the support that you need, whether that's medicine or going to talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist for support. And and sometimes those things play a, a, a true role and how you're navigating and and being and showing your behavior in a sense in marriage. So I think that those are important pieces just to understand, just to start the conversation. That's great, Samuel. Yeah. So to kind of continue that conversation, uh, you know, the Bible is very clear in Corinthians, first Corinthians, it says that uh, Paul charges us to renew our mind. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that healthy people do is they are consistently asking themselves, hey, what am I thinking about? Um, Mm. Because our thinking uh, directs our feelings, and then our feelings direct our behaviors or our actions. Mm. Uh, One way to think about this, I wish, (laughs) in a way, I wish we were doing a YouTube video, because this is the one, one of the times that I wish uh, our listeners could see something. So, Uh, For those listeners, imagine a circle, and at the top of the circle, you're going to write the word thinking. Hmm. And then, one-third the way down, you're going to write another word, and that word is feeling. And then another one-third away around, you're going to write behaving or acting. And that's either a positive cycle for us, or it's a negative cycle for us. And, uh, and so our thinking again drives our feelings and then our feelings drive our behaviors. And again, that can be negative or positive. And with the 
four aspects that we're going to talk about today that Samuel mentioned. We're going to be talking about these dynamics of anger, lust, depression, and anxiety. And uh, one way to think about this, sometimes our thinking, because you talked about multidimensional thinking, sometimes our thinking is very kind of practical. Like, I got to go to the grocery store. Uh, I've got to get an oil change. I've got to talk to my spouse about a possible vacation we're going to take. Very practical things. There's not, there's no emotion connected to that thinking. But... Throughout the day, often we are thinking that has one of those four dynamics of anger, lust, depression, or anxiety attached to our thinking. And sometimes, again, that's positive, but sadly, it's often negative. Another way to think about this, Samuel, and uh, is <laughs> I wish at the end of the day there would be a report generated for me of what I thought about that day. And it, you know, mm-hmm. about 10 o'clock, there'd be a printout at my printer. I could go look at it. I could read it. And there would be some days I'd read that report and I'd be like, wow, I had a really good day of thinking. And if I had a good day of thinking, I probably had a good day of feeling and I probably had a good day of behaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's some days I'd look at it and I'd go, ooh, that, that wasn't a good day. Um, and, in, and again, uh, maybe even some days I'd be like, oh, that was a really bad day. And so uh, one of the things I often ask clients to do, especially if they, one way to think about this, Samuel, often people are coming forward for counseling because of one of these four dynamics of anger, lust, depression, or anxiety. That's these key ingredients are really a big reason why people come to counseling. And uh, so one place that I start, if I'm working with a client with one of these, I ask them to literally journal out what they're thinking in terms of what's connected to one of these four. Yeah. And this, again, will help you be um, more conscious of uh of what you're thinking throughout the day yeah that that's so important like because i could i could see how if we're not conscious it's like it's the phrase we need to be aware of thinking about what we're thinking about it's Mm -hmm. it's it's so important to do that because if you don't if you're not conscious of it you know you can just take a certain you know uh certain day that you're having, you're just going about it, you're doing things, you know, that you're that you're typically doing from a routine standpoint. And you don't know what potential damage or what potential issues or ignoring certain things the way that your brain is working. And that can cause issues in the long term, you know, if you're just so routinely doing things without thinking about them. And then on top of that, this next spec of feeling we have to be conscious of how we feel. I think it was Pastor Jeff Jeff Mannion that mentioned this. He said we have to be conscious of how we feel. You know what 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 we're navigating when we're feeling certain types of things. How do we feel about that? Because growing up, you know, you could have been taught to, you know, ignore your emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as men, we ignore our emotions often cases, and we try to intellectual and in, uh, in uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, 
be intelligent or intellectualize things that, you know, we need to actually navigate with more emotion, not knowing mm-hmm. that our thoughts drive our emotions, right? If you're taught not to, to, you know, not feel, if you're taught not to, you know, appreciate an emotional response, then you'll try to go forego that and just behave or, or, or do something in regards to your behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's important, Kelly. That's so thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, in relationship to that, there are some pieces that we can actually correspond this to the Bible, because, you know, when we're on this podcast and sharing these things, we're always going to give you what the word says. And here's a, did you know, did you know that there are so many examples of anger, lust, depression, anxiety in the Bible? And we're going to talk about a couple of those, you know, for example, if you look at Jesus in the temple, you know, we're, uh, here's here's a here's a game show type. You know, what what emotion did Jesus show? You know, when he was in the temple, was it anger? Was it anxiety? Was it depression or lust? You know, you could we could do that game. But I think that it's amazing. He's in the, he's in the temple and he sees these money changers and he knows that this is the house of God. This is the place where he is literally trying to make sure that this is a place of worship of integrity, of authenticity, where people are bringing themselves to the Lord. And in seeing money changers making this house a den of thieves, as he calls it, you know, here's a positive anger-related, righteous anger-related reaction. That's a form of anger. He was righteously angry that they were doing something against the call of God for the place of worship. Now, an example of negative anger, uh, which was really illustrated as frustration, was Moses. Here's Moses, you know, striking the rock for water because in that moment, he's so tired. He's, you know, then then led the people from 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 Egypt. He's taking care of them. He's supporting them. He's trying to follow God. And here they are. I'm thirsty, Moses. (laughs) You know, where where's the food at, Moses? You didn't brought us from a land that had plenty of milk and honey. And now we're out here in the desert tired. And here is numbers 20. He's he's frustrated because of all the things. So he strikes the rock twice, actually. And here mm-hmm. comes water rushing out out of his frustration. You know, that's a that's an example of anger. You know, we can look at anxiety, too. Right. You know, here's here's Elijah, you know, in a place of of anxiety and just he's he's in fear, you know, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. trying to navigate a relationship with you know, uh, what's going on with Jezebel because Jezebel is just after him. She's sending dogs. She's sending her guards. This is in first Kings 19. And, and he's anxious, you know, and also he ends up walking in a level of depression, you know, where God has to provide some support for him and send angels to him at, at a particular moment, you know? And so out of worry, he does things that, you know, can cause himself to not want to actually do anything, which also then led to an aspect of depression for him. Whereas Jonah, and I say this is positive anxiety, because again, we said at the beginning, as Kelly mentioned, you can have positive and negative sides of emotion. Jonah, mm-hmm. we all know, is is completely disobedient. He's like, I am not going to Nineveh. I, I will not go help that people turn to God. I'm jumping on the ship. I'm getting out of here. He's hauling. He's hauling out of here. And in this moment, Jonah, you know, through his own anxiety is in now ends up in a whale because the people cast him off the ship through throwing lots and finding out that Jonah is the guy that has caused all this shipwreck, (laughs) you know, for their ship in the direction they're going. And in that moment, his own worry, his own anxiety actually led him to prayer 
and a desire to obey God. So that is positive anxiety in the in the opposite direction. We're now out of his worry, out of his desire to go about doing things a different way. He submits to God and says, Lord, I can't do this without you. You want me to do it. I'm going to obey you. And, and there's so many countless examples. You know, there's David crying over Saul, chasing him. That's a story of depression. There's, you know, Solomon, who's navigating, you know, an emotion that he has to be in, the, uh, in a have relationship with, with uh, I think it was the Queen of Sheba. He yeah. talks about the Song of Solomon. And then obviously there's the example of Amnon, who was a son of David, King David, but also King David had a daughter whose mm-hmm. name was Tamar, the sister of Absalom, and how his desire of lust led to, you know, assault. And, and that's in Second Samuel 13. So there's so many examples for us to see of of God and 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 just men and women in the Bible and how they navigated these emotional reactions. That's so awesome, Samuel, how you yeah. clearly put that out, because you are right. I mean, the, and I like that, you know, hey, let's play a game. Let's, you know, is it anxiety, lust, depression or uh, or anxiety? Um, and uh, in the Bible, as you're reading through the stories. So let's let's now do an overview of these four. And then we're going to look at each one uh, kind of in a specific and deeper way to help people navigate and to try to figure out where do I struggle? How Mm. do I struggle? So on some level with these four, as I mentioned, these are like very key reasons why people raise their hands and say, yeah, I think I need to get counseling. I'm really struggling with depression of late. Yeah. Or I've really been struggling with anxiety of late. And so the first thing that I always tell people is, uh, a, this is normal and natural natural of the human experience to, to struggle in some of these. Uh, but the other part of this, too, that is helpful is usually with most people, there's two that are very dominant and mm. two that you really don't struggle with. Mm. And it's really important, again, to figure out what are the two that I struggle with. And again, another important thing that I want people to understand when I'm working with them is these four are all positive and negative. So Mm. I want to walk you through that. So depression can be positive if you've had a tragedy happen in your life. Uh, For example, a couple years ago, my mom passed away suddenly. And I don't really struggle with depression, but, but for about three months, I really struggled with depression. And that was healthy. I needed to grieve uh, the loss of my mom. Uh, If you had come to me and said, hey, Kelly, how are you doing with the loss of your mom? And I'd be like, oh, I'm fine. You should be concerned about me. Uh, With anxiety, uh, if I'm walking through uh, an area that I'm not familiar with and it's midnight Uh, I would hope that you would be a little anxious because what that anxiety does, it helps you to be on guard. Mm. And then, uh, lust, a lot of people might be, well, how, how can lust be a positive thing? Well, lust, basically what lust means, which we'll talk about it a little bit more deeply, deeper in a little bit here. Lust is just a deep sexual desire. That's all that lust is. 
Hmm. And now it's all dependent on where are you putting that desire? Is it with your spouse? Then that's positive. And again, you brought up a great point, Samuel. The Song of Songs is uh, a very erotic book, especially if you know what all the words really mean. Um, And so that, again, the Bible is so cool in giving us a picture of even how lust uh, sexual desire for someone can be positive. And then, uh, finally anger, um, Mm -hmm. anger can be positive. We're going to, we're going to look at anger pretty deeply today, uh, because on some level, everybody struggles with anger. Uh, but anger can be positive. And again, you gave that great example of Jesus in the temple, but when, when something isn't going right, And it should be going right, whatever that means. Uh, You maybe should be angry about that. And again, often when I'm working with people who are struggling with anger, um, often I think people think anger is always sin. And that Hmm. is, that's just, that's just not true. How can that, how can Kelly, that may be like just a stop point for our listeners. They may be like, well, I've always been taught that anger was a sin. It's like the Bible says, don't let them, don't let, you know, don't go to bed being angry. Right. And so mm-hmm. we try to work through and put ourselves through, you know, all types of thinking, emotional reactions to not be angry. And then we still go to bed angry, angry, you know, mm-hmm. at, at our spouse or at the person that we might have interacted with. How, how can anger not be sin? Mm-hmm. Well, again, I think you pointed it out. Uh with with the life of Jesus. I mean, just go read, <laughs> go read yeah. the Gospels. Just go read one Gospel and read it with a highlighter and write out every time Jesus was angry. Hmm. Um, Jesus was often angry because he saw inconsistencies and he saw wrongdoing. Anger is very much connected to justice. Hmm. Um, when there is injustice, you should be angry and obviously Mm. go beyond your anger and literally do something about it. Um, so yeah, that's that's so good. I, you know, every time I listen to you talk, number one, I appreciate it, but then, you know, I, I hear and I learn something different and new because I think these things that we're, we're talking about with these chief struggles, you know, we know that they do follow our life for a long span of time. Sometimes we, as you mentioned, we always will be working on one of them. It seems like it's something that I guess you said Satan wants us to kind of struggle with that we want to, that he really wants to destroy us in, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we, we struggle with the pride of life. We struggle with the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. And in mm-hmm. those things, it's like, God, like, what do we do to navigate them? Will I always have to deal with this? But here's the thing that I think is so important. And this is going to kind of go into my first kind of just thought process about anxiety is that. God doesn't want us, whether you're married, you're single, no matter what state you're in, God doesn't want us to navigate anything by ourselves. He's Mm -hmm. like, I sent the Holy Spirit to you for a reason. I sent Mm -hmm. him to guide you, to lead you. He already says that his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And in those moments, it's almost like, even if you have a chief struggle, even if you have a thing that wants to take you out, (laughs) Know that I am present. I am there to support you and help you. And if you lean on me, 
it'll help you and guide you in regards to the thing that you may deal with. Yes, potentially for the rest of your life. But guess what? It doesn't have to overtake you. And so yeah, I think that is just, it's, it's so important, Kelly. It's so important. And, and, and I think of anxiety. Anxiety is kind of our first point, right? Yeah. The, the, the National Institute of Mental Health defines anxiety as, you know, an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, you know, worried thoughts, you know, physical changes like, for example, increased blood pressure. You know, people you know, in our in our profession of, of being therapists, you know, on the other side of what we do, you know, people with anxiety disorders, you know, they, they usually have and complain about, man, these these intrusive reoccurring thoughts and concerns that keep on happening. And, and in often cases, anxiety, what is it? It's worry. And when you're worried about something, what do you do? You try to avoid it. <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with this today. I don't I don't want to get up. And know that I have a boss that has said something to me and it's going to irritate me. So when I get up, I may call in or, or, or when I get up, I may go to work and do everything I can to not see my boss because I'm worried about certain situations or an outcome of something. You know, apply this to marriage. You know, mm-hmm. someone is someone had a very uncomfortable conversation with your spouse. Right. So you go to bed, you have all these reoccurring thoughts. You maybe struggle to go to sleep. You might have a nightmare, something's going on, and then you get up, your spouse is cooking breakfast, you know, they may be even trying to, what we do is called level the playing field. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, you may be stuck and feeling like very anxious that, huh, I got to go deal with this person. And that feeling of tension or that thought is something that you may navigate. But, but here's the point. In when you're trying to navigate and deal with anxiety, it's so important that you, again, don't do it without the Lord. Doing something without the Lord, guess what? The definition of doing things without the Lord is pride. Mm. In, in Matthew 6, 27 to 34, it gives us an example of things that we don't and shouldn't have to worry about. He talks about the lilies of the field. Don't they take care of themselves even though they toil in the wind? They may be swept away one day and, and, and gone the next, you know. But doesn't God still dress them? Doesn't God still take care of them? Doesn't God prepare you for moments with your spouse when you feel angry, you know, anxious, worried, feel tense the next day and and you're looking at your spouse and you're trying to figure out what you're going to say in your head based on the last situation? Doesn't God still provide protection, support for you, knowing that you don't have to sit there and be tense about something that's coming? He says in his word, don't even worry about the next day. In fact, the best thing you can do to prepare is pray. That's so good, Samuel. And when we just pray, Kelly, it's like, man, praying, casting our cares on the Lord in those moments when we're feeling so anxious and tense about things says, you know what? I can't do this alone, God. I can't do this by myself. I don't have to do this by myself. And so instead of attempting to control things and how someone could potentially respond to us, We're going to walk in a place of peace. In fact, God provides perfect peace. And in that perfect peace, I know that, man, Lord, I'm not I can't control how my husband or how my wife is going to respond in this particular moment. And I may feel a little anxious about something intense about another thing. But in that moment, I'm going to trust in the Lord. That's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I'm going to trust in him and lean on him and believe that he's going to help and guide me in my conversation and how I interact and in my relationship so I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry. And that's anxiety. And that's how you navigate. 
That's so good, Samuel. Yeah. So the next one is lust. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, obviously, uh, lust is very prevalent in our society. Yeah. Um, we see it, um, sadly, in a lot of negative ways. Um, and again, I just want to reiterate, lust is very strong sexual desire. It's not just strong sexual desire. It's very strong sexual desire, as the dictionary describes it. Uh, but the negative of it is, uh, on some level when you're lusting, sexually lusting, cause you can also lust after things. Um, but here we're predominantly talking about lusting after a person. Mm-hmm. And basically with that type of lust, you're basically saying, I want that person, even though I don't have the right to have that person. And um, obviously, because of porn and other uh, other issues, uh, lust can destroy your life. It destroys intimacy. It can destroy your family. I've worked with people where there's been uh, illegal uh, activity, and so it has a legal consequence in your life. And uh, basically, you I like how you mentioned that. Anxiety, uh, and I'm just going to say it again, anxiety is the person basically saying, God has left me alone and is not going to protect me. Yeah. Lust is basically saying, God's not going to give me a meaningful and intimate relationship. There's always a negative to that. Hmm. And then, of course, the opposite of lust is love and commitment. Hmm. And one other thing I want to say about this, Samuel, that I think it's really important that we really just emphasize with people of the four, you have two that you're going to struggle with, but there's going to be one that is going to follow you the rest of your life. You can never, ever take your eyes off of it. In fact, you always have to be purposeful in attacking it and becoming more healthy in that area in your thinking first and foremost. And I want to just go over one other thing that I think is important, which I forgot to talk about earlier. And that is there's a cycle to these uh, three thinking, feeling, behaving. And uh, and what I'm going to describe right now works really well with lust. It works well with Mm -hmm. all of them, but it works incredibly well with lust. And that is if you notice you're in a negative cycle of thinking and then you're feeling strong feelings of lust or depression or whatever, and then you begin acting that out, whatever that means for you, and then that continues you that negative thinking and that continues the negative feeling and it continues the negative behavior, um, there's only one way out. Hmm. Once you enter a negative cycle, uh, you can't change your thinking, typically. Uh, If you can change your thinking, that tells you you're not in a negative cycle or a a destruct. Maybe a better word is would be a destructive cycle. Hmm. Um, You can't change your feelings either. If you you (laughs) if you can't change your thinking, you're definitely not going to be able to change your feelings. So what I always teach people is that the only thing that you can change is you can change your behavior. And what that means often with all four of these, it means you have to change your environment. 
So, for example, I have worked a lot with men who have sexual addiction. And when they are in that, when, when they recognize they're in a destructive cycle, what I always tell them, dude, when you're in that cycle, you've got to change your environment. Yeah. So for example, um, a guy will recognize that he's in that cycle. He's at home and he's like, I think I'm going to go online and, and do some Google searches. Bad idea, right? Yeah. What he needs to do is he needs to get out of jo- Dodge and he needs to get out of his apartment. He needs to change his environment. And that works the same for the, the other three as well. So, for example, with depression, it means, you know, it's the person who's like, ah, I just want to stay in bed. Yeah. All day. You yeah. know, change your environment. Go for a walk. It's the person who's really anxious. Again, change your environment. The, it works really well. And I'll talk a lot more about this with anger. But anger, uh, often when you're working with people who struggle with anger, you're telling them to take a time out when they yeah. get angry. Yeah. And again, all that is, is that's a change of environment. I'm really angry at my kid right now. I'm going to say something really hurtful, but I'm going to take a time out. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to cool down and then I'm going to come back to the conversation. That is so good. That You know what, Kelly, that is so good. And and what that does for me, you know, personally, again, we, we talk about, you know, through self-disclosure, some of the interactions that we have mm-hmm. personally and then also that we have with our clients. But for me, like that confirms something that I often cases share with my clients. And I say, hey, you know what? We ha- I say two words. I say we have conditions and we have an identity. In often cases, what people do is people identify themselves based off of a condition. I am depressed. Oh, OK. So mm-hmm. you're depressed. I am lustful. OK, so that's who you that's who you believe you are. Or is that conditional? Is that a condition? Is that an environment? Is that the context of which you've made, in a sense, lordship over your life so that you'll, so that way you'll always submit to it? No, a condition is a condition. And we have to navigate experiences and things through that lens so that way we learn to walk out of identifying with a thing and then begin to continually work on, okay, progressively working through those things that we end up making you know, a part of our identity. And I think that is, is just an amazing aspect that you talked about, that environmental piece, um, when especially if you're like, man, I can't stop thinking, I can't stop feeling, I can't stop behaving. Well, change. Let's, let's change the way that you do things, your routine, and let's change the environment that you're continually exposed and putting yourself in that because those are conditions. So that's really good, Kelly. I like, I like what you said, Samuel. That's so helpful about the condition part. That's that really complements it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, oh, that's right. We have another one, don't we? So depression. <laughs> so depression is the next category that we'll deal with. And in depression, um, that's, that's again, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, that is uh, defined as a constant feeling or emotion of sadness you know, and or a loss of interest, which typically stops your normal activities. So, you know, you may be used to being more social or going out and having fun with your spouse uh, in some way, shape, or form. Some event occurs, right? Something happens. Maybe someone passes away. Maybe, you know, you just feel 
just kind of yucky and out and and not feel like going out anymore for, you know, week, two, week, three weeks at a time. And then all of a sudden it turns into a month or so. That is conditionally expressed and defined as as depression because now you've lost interest in doing normal activities. You know, it, it really se- severely impacts how you feel, you think, um, and then how you, you know, do your behaviors such as uh, sleeping, eating, and working. And I think that when when sometimes when we're navigating depression in marriage specifically, you know, there may be this aspect where, man, well, that person used to serve me a certain way, but now they don't serve me anymore. They, they I was used to having dinner every single night and all of a sudden something just changed. My wife just changed, right? That's something we commonly hear. And mm-hmm. she's just not the same person, <laughs> you know, or let's just say you were out and about enjoying meeting with couples, doing small groups, all those types of things. And all of a sudden the couple just dropped out. And you're like, man, what happened to them? And then you talk to them and maybe they're low in voice, low in mood, low in energy. I think they're getting ready to have a divorce. Well, maybe they're just depressed because of some event that happened. And I think that we have to navigate those things and understanding, oh, these are signs of depression within individually. And then also how that may impact the marriage in regards to activities or things that you were used to doing. And often cases also can show up and how we treat our spouse, for example, you know, um, you know, I, I remember this story, Kelly, of a particular person. Let's just call them, you know, by the name of uh, Ricky Sue. You know, I like using old Southern names. That's how you know Ricky Sue. Ricky Sue. Ricky Sue. You know, or Charlie Ooh. Joe. You know, that's that's what I like using when I talk about certain Love situations. <laughs> Let's use Ricky Sue for example, and I remember the story of this particular person. Um, they, you know, they were out and about, always enjoying time with their spouse, and and you know they would you know go on dates, you know, at least every other week. You know, they were just enjoying. So they were married for about four or five years. Um, after those four or five years, Ken they had a kid. You know, they ended up uh, moving. Um, and in moving to another state, they had to get used to, you know, going to another church and mm. in relationship with all those people that are, you know, at a new church. And so the spouse, you know, the woman, she was pretty much, you know, not having it. She was like, man, I've got to turn all my energy and, and now creating new relationships, going to the church, going and having friendships with people. I have no idea who they are. And in this moment, you know, what ended up happening is the husband would come home often cases dealing with, you know, um, the day and enjoying his day from work. You know, they would go on church on Sunday together, enjoying Sunday service, Wednesday service. Um, But then he noticed his spouse was like, she was just not, you know, hearing when he would talk to her. He would mention things about the game. He would mention things about, you know, what was going on with the kids and she would not respond as, as, as she used to. And he noticed his lack of energy. So in counseling, you know, he asked me, he said, Sam, man, like my wife is not the same person. She's, she's not even there. Like, and, and, and she doesn't even like notice it. And she was getting really defensive. She was like, you know what? You know, my, my husband, Charlie Joe, you know, he, he like doesn't care about how I feel and about this whole move and about, being in a new environment and the, and the kids are suffering too. He thinks the kids are excelling. The kids are suffering too. And so they had this moment where they didn't understand that, you know, the wife was dealing and navigating depression from all the loss that she had endured in her life. And in that loss, you know, 
there began to be a lack of desire to do certain things also for the husband because the husband wasn't doing a, a term that we call turning toward. She mm-hmm. was, you know, he wasn't even paying attention to the signs that his wife was regressing in the way that she was feeling and regressing in the way that she was thinking about their current context and environment. And when you have those things that are happening, sometimes, you know, if the spouse, the wife doesn't feel like you're actually paying attention to her, maybe she's also expressing that you don't love her in a way. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, when, and if she's potentially feeling that you don't love her as a husband, you know, and this is kind of the conversation we were having. I said, I wonder how she feels about this whole direction that you felt like God was telling you to make this move. I wonder how she feels about God. Mm. And, and in depression, what ends up happening is at the root of depression, you know, there's this expression that, well, depending on who's leading my life, let's just say God, for example, maybe that aspect of depression can be reflected in saying that God may not love me or that he's not concerned about how I feel. Mm-hmm. And, and if there's this expression that, man, the leader of my life doesn't understand me or doesn't understand how to love me the right or doesn't or isn't concerned about me there's this aspect where in depression that 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 layer of change that has to happen is a redirect and a reframe well yes god does love you yes god does care about how you're feeling how you're navigating the stressors of your life how you're feeling in regards to now regressing in the way that you used to live your life based off a condition or based off of an event happening and that's a constant aspect of not necessarily pushing the person to do something different as much as it is as addressing, okay, it's not that God doesn't love you. It may be the fact that things have changed and you haven't been able to navigate the adjustments needed or the triggers in regards to the events that have happened in your life. And in working through those things, often cases, what we have to do, you know, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a therapist, whether you're a pastor, talking to someone is help that person understand the, the the preeminent piece of hope and also the preeminent piece of gratefulness because that is the opposite of depression. That's the opposite of, okay, yes, things don't seem the same. Yes, things you may feel down and out. Yes, things may not be you know going as you want them. You could use COVID, for example. Oh, COVID just wiped out everything. I'm depressed. Okay. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people that passed away, but are you still alive? That's hope. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that have changed, but guess what? There's still opportunity to do things creatively and and new um, that are part of your life. The fact that we still have breath, that's hope. Mm -hmm. And and then that we can be grateful to the place that know that God is there and he has not left us. He has not forsaken us and he keeps us. And I think that that is the power of hope and gratefulness as a driving force to redirect people and reframe people from thinking that, man, it's just an aspect of depression. There's no reason to get out and do anything. No, there is a reason. And number one, God is that reason. He's given you life. He's given you breath and he's given you the ability to dream and hope and do the things that he's called you and assigned you to do. I think that's an important piece of, of understanding how depression and also how to, how to go against that. So good, Samuel. So good. You know, I heard, uh, I heard a quote last week. Um, I think it was Pope Francis who said it and I'm not going to get the quote right, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be using it a lot because when it, when I heard it, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that truth? And he said, I think this is how it went. The last hundred years has for the church has been the ministry of the mouth. Hmm. And for the next hundred years, the church is going to be need to be the ministry of the ear. Mm. And, uh, I think with all the tie into all of this 
is to help somebody with all four of these different struggles, you need to have a really good ear and you really need to be a good listener. And that, that story that you shared really illustrated that. So the last one is anger. Mm. Anger. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. So one of the starting places that I start with people is that everybody gets angry, everybody. But some people, it's a key struggle. And this one is really important because it really helps people navigate their feelings and their challenges within relationships, their most intimate relationships, in particular with their spouse boyfriend, girlfriend, or their kids, or their mom or dad, or whoever. So, uh, number one, everybody gets angry. And, uh, and again, remember, anger can be a positive emotion, and it can be negative. Um, there's two words in the Bible, and I love going over this with clients because it really opens up a new world for them to think about their anger. And the two words are orge and storge. They're Greek words for anger. And it's really easy to remember <clears throat> because orge is okay. Orge sure. is anger. Sure. Storge, you can hear in the word what storge is. It's a person who is storing their anger. Mm. So now let's walk through orge, because that's the good anger, and that's what you want to do with it. Number one, you always want to be mindful of your feelings and emotions. So if you're angry at somebody, call it out within yourself. Yeah. Call a spade a spade. If you're angry at your spouse, say, you know what? I'm really angry at my spouse right now for whatever. And with orge, healthy anger, you only have two options with it. You either need to forgive it or you need to express it. Mm. And healthy aspects of angry anger is, number one, I recognize I'm angry. Number two, I've got, actually, I've got three choices. I can express it. Um, I can forgive it or I can store it. And remember, storing is really bad because when you store anger, it will either hurt you or it will hurt others. One manifestation of stored anger, for example, is rage. If mm. you lost it one time and you exploded at a person and you're screaming at them, that, my friend, is rage and that is storge, um, usually. Um, but with that to maybe kind of walk people through that. So you get angry at your spouse and you recognize that you're angry at them and you decide, you know what? I think I'm going to forgive it. My spouse has had a really rough week and he, he or she has been on edge and they snapped at me this morning Yeah, and I'm going to forgive it and forgiving it is forgetting it. Forgiving and forgetting are very tied together, um, especially in terms of a Christian ethic. Um, like Jesus does not remember my sins. He forgets them. He forgave them and he forgets them. And we need to put that in practice in our own lives. 
Now, the way you figure out if you express it, one way is if it's a consistent pattern of behavior that really frustrates you. That tells you that you need to sit down with your spouse and have a significant conversation. And you might want to go back and listen to our podcast about conflict resolution. Because in there, we, for example, talk about active listening and some other tools that you can use to have a crucial, difficult conversation with your spouse that you actually might be a little bit scared to have. And Mm. that is normal and natural. Um, So, uh, so yeah, I think uh, when it comes to anger, at the end of the day, it's us saying, God is not going to bring about justice for me. And with that, the opposite of anger would be joy or gratefulness. So, again, I think it's really important for for people to monitor, okay, I'm upset. What do I need to do? Do I need to forgive it? And if if you do forgive it, sometimes I encourage people to audibly forgive it. Um, And maybe that can even turn into a prayer for you. Hey, Lord, I'm really upset at my husband right now or my Mm -hmm. wife. Um, They've had a bad day or a bad week. And you know what? They they were quite harsh with me this morning, but I'm going to forgive it and let it go and uh, try to create a reconnection with my spouse. So good. So good, Kelly. This, this is, this is, this is one of my favorite podcasts already, because I think that people navigate and have to deal with these pieces so uniquely and don't always know how to define. Again, we tar- we started at the top of this saying in many cases, it's the men that don't know how to define how they feel about things, but there's probably women too. And in that Absolutely. understanding how you feel about your emotion, how that then thing comes out, for example, anger and what that means is, is so key to that. Um, is, is there anything that you wanted to leave us with in regards to anger? No, I, I think that what I said is mostly, you know, again, you, you mentioned about men not being able to navigate their emotions. I really think women have just as a difficult time, but they do it in a different way. Mm. I had a client last night and we actually talked about this topic. And one of the things that was really helpful for her, and she had never done this at all in her life. And that was, I said to her, well, you know, you're angry at your husband. And she was kind of like, well, I don't really get angry. And I'm like, well, you're angry. And then mm-hmm. what I did is I walked her through um, through the, what, what I just explained about how to navigate your anger. And, uh, and I think that was a real breaking point for her to realize that, A, anger is not always sin. Anger yeah. can be healthy and natural yeah. and normal. Like it was... Like in this instance, she should have been angry at her husband. He was taking her for granted. And that is something to be angry about. And so, um, yeah, this I, I love this topic. Um, I've shared this topic a lot with people, and it, it's been one of the more helpful topics when working with people. So good. So good. So listeners, as we're closing out today, I think it's it's so important that, you know, if you're if you've not navigated this or, or dealt with this before, have 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 and take some time, you know, with your significant other or if you're single, 
work through these emotions, you know, get in, you can get in contact with us to learn more about these subjects um, at care at adabible.org by emailing us there and or just check out our website um, underneath adabible.org. And, and I think that it's just important, again, to, to work through these pieces of emotion and our thoughts and our behaviors. Um, and again, I think it's so crucial that if, if, it, if, we're, if we're mindful of our thinking, especially as it applies to our possible struggles with anxiety, depression, or anger, that things can change. You know, things can be different if we work through them. I think it's important to know that when we struggle with these things, um, that we have to be purposeful about going after them in our life and getting better so that way they don't fall out of our laps. So again, if these things have been impactful, um, don't feel free to leave us comment or subscribe to our podcast. We'll have information in our show notes that are underneath our podcast. And again, for Kelly and Samuel, this has been Together, and we hope to see you next in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope that you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries, or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, email us at care at adabible.org.